So welcome to today. I'm Christine. I'm Liz. And I'm Sarah. And we are Double Defense. We're an all-female New York Rangers podcast, bringing you fun conversation about our New York Rangers, the NHL and hockey, and so much more. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to a very special episode of Double Defense on this All-Star Game Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited. I'm Liz, that's Christine, and we have a very special guest today, uh, Tom Laidlaw. Um, I, I'll give Tom, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about Tom and then Tom, we'd love to hear from you, you know, a little sure. bit about yourself. And then Christine and I have a lot of questions. We have a lot Perfect. of questions that we are so honored that you are joining double defense on the show today. Perfect. I've only got like three hours. All right. We're going for three hours today. Okay. <laughs> we, we have all morning. I wait, okay. we might need to refill some coffees here, but yeah, we're okay. good. <laughs> well, we'll go into cocktails later. I mean, this is, yeah. who, knows? who knows? Um, Tom Laidlaw is a motivational speaker, business entrepreneur, former sports sports agent, and former former NHL defenseman. He grew up on a humble Canadian farm where he learned how to truly embrace hard work and appreciation for life. I love that, by the way. Um, guided by memories of his father and grandfather, Tom lives his life to the absolute max, whether it be your relationships, personal goals, business endeavors, mental strength, or physical health. Tom's mission is to inspire you to live his mantra of a true grit life. Um, Tom also played uh, seven seasons with the New York Rangers, uh, four seasons with the Kings, a lot of other hockey experience. Um, and we are, again, we are thrilled to, to have him join us today. Great. To, I, it would have been sooner too, right, Liz? If Christine hasn't messed up before, you know, they messed up the timing and everything. That was, I think she I was actually like did like time zone math. The funniest yeah. part about that is I was literally in a meeting about right. math, like in, in doing numbers. Oh. And I actually have a degree in math and statistics. So right. the fact that I had bad time zone math, so in other right, words, you, did, you did it on purpose then. Is that what you're saying? I kind of, you know, it's working yeah. out to be the way it should okay. be. So everything's meant to be. Everything's meant to be. Oh, Liz and I, I were both. my intentions, right? Yeah. Liz, Liz and I were very upset. Yeah. It's definitely Christine's fault. 100%. We've, yeah. we, we've decided that. I'm just now getting over it now, too. Days. Yeah. I'm able to sleep. Oh, no. I'll make it up to you. I promise. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, so, so, Tom, you know, maybe if you can tell us a little bit about what you've been up to, what you have going on in your life that you're excited by uh, before we start the full the, the full interrogation that we have. The full interrogation, I like it. Okay, uh, yeah. You know, what's interesting, you ask that. You know, I think I started all this True Life book eight, eight years ago. Uh, my youngest son was always pushing me to brand myself and market myself and uh, got me on Facebook and uh, Instagram. And I had no clue what I was doing. Like, he was yelling at me because I, I couldn't figure out what a hashtag was for. And so, um <laughs> So really, it was the idea we're having fun. Like I used the term, like calling people grasshoppers, just going going back to the old kung fu movies. And then now listeners would uh, research and they'd see that uh, grasshoppers have been around for hundreds of millions of years. They can't be killed. They always move just forward. They don't move backwards or sideways. And that became kind of the mantra for the people. You know, they just drive forward all the time, keep moving. Um, so new things keep happening to me all the time. You know, the good fortune to be on TV show Survivor. Um, learning new things about mental health. Mental health is something I really gotten into. Uh, a lot of people on I did uh, a podcast with a woman who was a uh, hypnotist and really taught me a lot about uh, uh, mental, how you, your mind is, or your subconscious mind is formed when you're young. Uh, so I'm always into new things. We've got a thing, a really interesting project. I got a book getting done uh, here called uh, 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 True Good Life. 
And we've got a project in Roscoe, New York, Roscoe Mountain Club. It's a resort. It's like a thousand acre resort with a golf course, hiking trails. So we're going to do uh, health and wellness um, seminars up there. We've got a licensed uh, registered nutrition uh, person working with us. So do a lot of stuff like that. Um, do a lot of speaking engagements now. I'm going to schools and businesses. Um, a lot of stuff with the New York Rangers. So obviously using my mouth a lot. Um, it's funny because when I went to I went to college in Northern Michigan University, and I was a typical jock and didn't want to take really hard classes. So I took speech classes where you're learning to speak, and it's turned out that that's that's what I do all the time now. So uh, a lot of again, this Roscoe Mountain Club is really interesting. Uh, we do things like we'll go to uh, there's a buddy of mine who owns a comedy club up near where I live. And we'll uh, we'll uh, use that, and we'll put on we'll be comedians there, but we'll also bring in other players and interview them. So it's um, yeah, it's up every day at three thirty. Doing my morning video at three fifty three. I know. Sometimes uh, I see you up walking when I'm still awake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. Back in the day, I was walking home from the bars uh, at that time. But now, <laughs> I know, right? You, you know, you guys were in Vegas too when I was there. But uh, so in Vegas, I want to make sure you do it every time, where I'm on the road or not. I get up and early and do this morning video at three fifty three. So um, it was funny in Vegas. So I was walking outside and it was all the hookers uh, leaving, going home uh, with me. Three fifty three. I know. I we're talking. It's like. Too bad you didn't like just get one on your. On yeah, your, you missed it. I should have. That would be funny. That would be funny. Uh, funny stuff. So, so yes. you're out there. Tie that in. Where, where can we on a road trip? What's that? I, I just want to ask. Where can we see the morning? Where can we see the morning video? So, Is that on your so Instagram? I, I, Is that? Yeah. I, Posted on my Instagram at 3:53. It goes on Facebook at 3:54. I had an old teammate, actually a former LA King, uh, Jim Thompson. Um, went through a rough t childhood, and uh, he grew up in a trailer park outside of Edmonton, Alberta. And the the number on his trailer was 353. So I was going, yeah, I, I, I was going out and doing the video at random times, like 350, 355. Ah. And uh, he asked me, he said, Tom, can you do it at 353? And I so I was doing it him for him at first. The reality is, and this goes for a lot, I'm sure you guys are the same way. When you do things for other people, you end up getting good things back. Like that really increased my, like I realized, man, I can be even more disciplined in my lifestyle. Like trying to teach other people if you want to accomplish things, discipline is a huge part of that. So that's how, that's how that all started. You also, when you do those, it, you have a term, you have a phrase yeah. that you use every day. So where'd yeah. that come from? Well, I, I've, I just learned a lot. You know, I'm very fortunate. I get to do a lot of stuff with Navy SEALs and other military personnel. And uh, so we say things like, you know, if anything in life is worth doing, it's worth overdoing. Uh, or fate whispered to the warrior. Uh, you cannot withstand the storm. The warrior whispered back, I am the storm. So there are sayings like that that I've just picked up over, you know, again, with the Navy SEALs, there's that movie Act of Valor, where there's some real life Navy SEALs act in the movie. And uh, they really talk about a lot, like beautifying the world. And there's this uh, Shawnee warrior chief, uh, Tecumseh, that have wrote this fantastic poem about beautifying the world and how you treat other people. And uh, it's just, I've learned so much. Like, again, the Navy SEALs have been a big source of uh, me learning things because they live that uh, real, you know, you think, just see them killing people and kicking down doors, but they're really intelligent men. They're really prepared. They like to, they learn to learn. Uh, that's for me. I've just, in the last eight years, I've learned probably more than I had my whole life uh, just because I'm willing to, to listen to people. You know, Christine, you're telling me about some of your things that you uh, enjoy doing and, uh, yeah. So I, I mean, my, my other crazy hobbies. Yes. Well, I, I didn't know how to put that. I was trying to be diplomatic, but yes, <laughs> crazy hobbies. Yeah. no, I mean, look, it's fun. It's adventurous yeah. and, you know, and it's, you know, it's exploring. So for those who, who are jumping in or listening, um, my other hobby is uh, I'm a paranormal investigator. So I've been doing it for over 15 years. It's fun. I, I know amazing people, just kind of like what you're saying. And I've met, you know, just a range of, uh, of people 
along the way from, you know, I think we're talking about kind of like nutty little, you know, out there to, you know, highly educated and well-renowned, you know, sources, which are fantastic to talk to learn and learn from. And really, and especially in that field with, um, you know, with the degree that I have, there's really no conclusion in anything. So I think we're talking, it's like, it's fun school. You know, we go, we learn in school for our job and for, you know, our, for everything we're doing, but this is what we want to learn. And so picking up, you know, doing this podcast and learning more about the sport that we love along with like a hobby that I love, it it just gets to be more fun. And, and every time you go and seek an answer, you get more questions. So yeah, very true. That's a good way to put it. I like that. Yes, definitely. Yeah. It's fun. We'll have so, to figure out a way to combine these two genres, uh, hockey and paranormal investigation. That's a, that can be well, a, a, you, a separate. You, there's haunted hockey around, rings. There's haunted yeah. hockey rings. I know that. Well, right. if you hang around with alumni hockey players, like ex hockey players, they, they do go together. They're, they're out there too. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny now because I, I've gotten into this, like this all positive world and, you know, open it up, you know, like the stuff like if uh, Christine told me about her stuff, you know, eight years ago, I would have been like, this woman's crazy. Uh, but now I've learned that, no, there's, there's, yeah, open up your mind, think outside the box, get outside your comfort zone. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. You'd be surprised too. I think you were talking too about, you know, what I find is that, you know, I don't really get people kind of looking at me weird. I, I really get people opening up with a story. Yeah. So, yeah. and we, we love stories, you know, we love, you know, and this is why we kind of do this and why we're having you on too. It's like, we learn about other people and, and different stories. Cause you know, you, people always have something to share that that resonates with other people too so uh, and it resonated with you because you had a story yeah yeah. lots of stories yes Um, I wouldn't mind asking a question. You know, I know we talked, we obviously want to talk Rangers and hockey and, and a lot of positivity on this podcast, but you mentioned mental health. And I think that's been a huge subject in the NHL recently. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on sort of where, what does mental health mean to you as a player? What do you think it means to current players? Has that changed? And, and where do you think, um, you know, the conversation is going to go um, now? Yeah. Well, you know, if I think back to when I played uh, and before that, but we were a bunch of barbarians. I mean, we dealt with everything by drinking beer. Uh, guys would never open up. It would be, it'd be crazy. I shouldn't say that's a terrible word to use. It would be, I've talked to some players. Well, Corey Hirsch is a former player. Uh, he was on the 94 Ranger team. Uh, and he's very open about his mental health issues now. And he talked about how when he first realized there was something wrong, he couldn't talk to anybody. Because uh, he knew that he'd get blackballed and would never play again in the National Hockey League, and that's a sad state, right? And that, that goes—it's not just sports, uh, but sports is really that. that again, that's improved uh, in the hockey world, but still, there's that stigma, and that, that's why I think it's so important for people like myself, everybody, to talk about the mental health issues more, uh, to make sure it's not a taboo issue anymore uh, to talk about. Again, we've made strides in that, uh, but we're we're not where we need to be yet. But it's. You know, I think back to myself too, and it was definitely, if I had some mental health issue, I'll talk about another guy, Mike Allison. We had him on our podcast, Full Change podcast, and we both played for Herb Brooks, and Herb Brooks was great for my career, uh, but he he did some weird things. Uh, so I thought he was a fantastic coach. Now, I still do think he's a great coach, but Mike Allison got to the point where he was contemplating suicide uh, because of the treatment from Herb Brooks. Um, now, and Mike will say for himself, now, was he too soft about it? And I don't think that's fair to say. Uh, if it bothered him, it bothered him. You hear a lot of stories about how Mike Babcock treated people, Scotty Bowman. Uh, that was the way it was done back in the day. Uh, and it's wrong. And we just, uh, again, you, you learn about the subconscious mind where those, 
anywhere from the last trimester in the womb up until like nine, 10 years old, that's how your subconscious mind is formed. All the positive things, negative things, trauma. A lot of people have addiction issues, uh, have been traumatized at that, in that age group. Um, so we're, again, we're learning more about it. More people are talking about it. There's that 988 hotline for people, suicide hotline, mental health hotline. Uh, and there's people like myself. I just, uh, you know, so like this morning, for example, a buddy of mine, his uh, brother-in-law, I was in a skiing accident. I was paralyzed. Uh, and, and so they want me to come talk to him because it's, it's tough. He's laying there in bed. He can't move. And my job is to go up there and say, no, you, you tell yourself you're going to move. You tell yourself that's, again, your mind controls your body way more than, I didn't understand all that, the connection between the mind and the body in both directions. Uh, you know, if you, you admit positive thoughts and positive energy from your mind, it admits, scientifically, it admits these proteins that go into your body. And the same thing that happens from your body to your mind when you're working out. So there's so many things to learn about the mental health. And it isn't always just uh, you know, depression, OCD. It's, um, I mean, this, these are tough times we've gone through. Right? All the kids that spent years. Anxiety. Yeah. I get that yeah, more. It's like, yeah. <laughs> you get yeah. just about everything, you know. So. Yeah. Well, when you think about the suicide rate, we don't hear all about the suicide rate. That's a good it's thing. Like, yeah. 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 It has to be especially difficult for, for players where, you know, not only, especially now, not only is everything that they do under a microscope, but then everyone can just tears them apart on social media. I mean, that yeah. has to be emotionally yeah. really challenging. Yeah, yeah we didn't have to do. Yeah, yeah they are. And that, that's, see, that's a great point, by the way. So when you grow up as a hockey player, especially in Canada, but not limited to Canada, your whole life, you've been one of, you've been treated differently. And in, in a very you think in a very positive way. You get, you're allowed to do whatever you want to do. People are telling you how great you are. Then all of a sudden, if you're lucky enough to be a professional, like at the age of you know, 35 years old, now you retire. And you think you've been leaving, living this normal life all this time, but you haven't. It's a, it's a fantasy world. But then you get out into the real world and you realize, well, not everybody's telling me how great I am anymore, anymore right? So it's and you, now you're really starting in the real world at 35 where other people had started when they're 22 coming out of college or whatever so you're in some ways you're kind of behind the eight ball again not complaining about that it's you know playing the national hockey league's dream come true but that's just you, you don't know that stuff and you know what here's the thing even if i was to go to these nhl players now and tell them that stuff they wouldn't listen and, and, I, and I wouldn't listen either you're so wrapped up in that little cocoon you live in uh, and you have to be that way to be professional so um yeah it's the mental part of it again people just see all the money they're making and everything and uh, how great the life is and it's fantastic for these guys making the money and making that's great for them and their families too but the mental part of it there's uh, some guys that are really hurting out there again we again doing our full change podcast i think we've interviewed about um 80 some former players and of that there was like seven six guys actually attempted suicide uh others have had you know real problems with drugs and alcohol as well yeah, and some of them were talking about it. So you, you were, we were kind of talking about this before too. With, um, you know, a, another thing is, you know, they have a players assistance program, uh, and how is it, how is that developed? You know, throughout time, uh, you know, is it, you know, I don't, I don't know if you know, like, I don't know what's involved with that and yep. how, um, and how they're helping the players. Sure. You know, through so, so, yeah. So they have a team of doctors. Um, and they really don't answer to anybody. They're they're employed by the NHL and the NHL Players Association. I believe I'm correct on that. Yeah, they it's jointly they pick jointly. Um, so players can go to them if they need help, any kind of help, uh, alcohol, drugs, psychological issues, um, or if the player is getting into trouble, uh, he can be put into that program. Now, at first, they don't have to answer to anybody. I had a player, Sheldon Kennedy, uh, when the program first started, and he was sexually abused by his junior coach. 
and we signed a contract with the Boston Bruins. Um, and uh, they said, listen, he needs help. He shouldn't be playing. He needs to get psychological help to deal with all that. And uh, Michael Connor was a GM at the time. We knew each other from playing against each other. And I said, Mike, I just can't tell you. It's, it's, it's the rules. And he understood. He didn't like it. You know, he just signed the player. And, you know, they weren't paying him a whole lot. But still, the team is still continues to pay the player while he goes into the program. If he's doing it as, as the way they want him to do it. You know, if he starts to fight it or... I, like I think there's a number. It's like two or two, three times where he's gone against the program by drinking or drugs, whatever it is. Then they can start deducting his pay at that point. But uh, it's yeah. it's helped a lot of players. And the best thing they do is it's usually behind the scenes too. They don't, you know, there's obviously some. Yeah, it should be. we know there's yeah. other factors involved there too. But you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's tough. On, you know, again, I hate to say this, but now gambling is such a big part of sports. So the gambling industry pays a lot of money in the NHL now. They they want to know who, who's playing, who's not. When's the player coming back? So they can yeah. actually make place bets. Now, in this case, that's why they have disclosure of uh, injuries, at least upper body or lower body injuries. But as far as that kind of stuff, they can't disclose it. Yeah, that was an interesting, you know, uh, kind of point, you know, to all of that too, because you know when we're when we're seeing the recent, you know, uh, Ranger player, you know, Keandre with him taking some leave, you know, you see him get a lot of flag for stuff, but um, you. You know, I got to praise him for actually doing it and stepping it up. And I'm kind of seeing that more coming out like this month, you know, on, you know, literally Good Morning America. They were interviewing athletes and talking about like the stigma that goes through them not, you know, kind of admitting they have issues and speaking up. So that's good that it's kind of you know, really kind of coming out and about and up and, you know, and hopefully, you know, just for us going forward, it's it's nice that, you know, we want, we want them to be the best that they can be at all times, you know, and, you know, aside, like, aside from the, the people that are on like social media that who knows yeah. what they want, they're all crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so when well, you're on your road trip, you kind of came out here um, with the alumni and we totally didn't, we missed each other when you're, yeah. when you're out, we were probably this close, you know, and, and missed each other. But how was that? What did you guys do? You were with uh, other alumni. Um, how, how was, how, how'd that go? Um, I know that they just posted a picture. So for anyone listening, you know, you can explain kind of what, what you yeah. guys did. So there's two, two parts of it. I was in uh, Vegas and then I went over to LA. Uh, and I, again, I keep forgetting when they take us on these trips, there's always got us doing something. So we tried to make plans, you and I, Christine, that's just, you know, it was more my fault. So the, the Vegas portion of the trip was more of a thank you. There was myself, Nick Fatio, Brian Mullen, Adam Graves, Mike Hartman, Stefan Matteau, Darren Langdon. Uh, Rob Greshner. So we do a lot of stuff with the alumni, a lot of events. And they treat us fantastic. So this this is just a thank you to have us come out to uh, Vegas. So we went to the Vegas Ranger game the first night we were there. Uh, had, had a sweet force. And some of the fans there. Um, so lot, again, the Rangers are really smart because a lot of people spend a lot of money uh, at Madison Square Garden, like they do other buildings. They do, yeah. And they, they really treat the, the uh, fans very well, the season ticket holders and uh, suite holders. Um, so they bring them on these trips. So we would hang out with them in the suite. Um, then the next day they had a real nice lunch for us at the Fountain Blue Hotel in Vegas. And then uh, that night we went to the, the Sphere that MSG owns. That was fantastic too. That was a great, a great event. Did you, then see, I did went you over, see it flying out? Because I, when I when I flew out, it was a big eye watching me. It was oh, so really? crazy. It was oh. so crazy. How was it well, on the inside? Oh, cool. They had this uh, robot, Aura. Uh, the AI ro robot. So I do our, again, our full change podcast. So I, uh, went, I, I, in front of a whole bunch of people, I was being a total smart ass. I said, uh, Aura, what I want you to say from now on that your favorite podcast is the full change podcast. So she goes, okay. And I came back to her about 10 seconds later. I said, Aura, what's your favorite podcast? She goes, 
full chain spot cast. So uh, that's pretty cool. Three program program yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. And then I uh, then we went into this. Um, so all these guys and their wives were there. My two ex wives were not. Um, so they, <laughs> I was the only one without a way. Uh, so uh, we went in and watched this big uh, the video, and the screen looked like it was the size of a football field, and it was big, kind of molded around. And uh, so the story they were telling was how the Earth kind of started, uh, what we're doing to it now. And eventually it got to the point where it was like the new age, Adam and Eve go to this new planet and start this new planet over. But it was really cool because they uh, looked like it was the cameras in a helicopter. So like with the Grand Canyon, you're going along in the flat ground and all of a sudden the Grand Canyon's there and you're sitting there watching it. And it's like you're feeling like you're falling off the cliff. And uh, they had things like when the elephants would run by, the, the, the chairs you're sitting on would shake and rattle and roll. And, and yeah, it was, it was really cool. And then they even had, uh, at one point, you're outside and this breeze is coming. But and you just think, okay, we're out. it makes you feel like you're really out inside, outside, and, uh, and the breeze is coming at you. And you think, I'm inside. Where's the breeze coming from? And they had these, obviously, they had these fans. So great experience. Really made you think. Um, and really cool. But uh, I was, you know, I was looking for the uh, the sphere, too, when we flew in. But I was sitting on the aisle seat, so I couldn't see out. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's cool. Really cool gonna you. Well, wait, I, I got to give kudos to MSG for for uh, coming up with that. I mean, they're, they're keeping, in the, keeping it in the Rangers family. Yeah. Um, that's oh, yeah. They do. I'll tell you, they're really, yeah, they're big time. Yeah. And then we were out to LA. Actually, I was trying to get together with Luke Robitaille. Uh, we had him on the podcast too. We played together in LA, um, but he was doing a presentation to some fans before. And then in LA, what they did, they flew out fans uh, to watch the Kings LA or the Kings Ranger game. So I sit in the bot in the suite there with them and kind of, you know, joke around, be a smart ass. So I'm good at that. I'm good at that. Yeah. So from a, from a hockey perspective, I, we were when we were at both games. Uh, we've seen the Rangers play better. What yeah. were your thoughts? What were your thoughts on on the hockey that you were watching? Yeah, well, I'm really high on the team. Um, it's good. They showed how good they can be. You know, two years ago in the playoffs, they played fantastic. Last year wasn't that great. The start of this season was fantastic too. It just seems like they, they kind of get a little bit of a more of a mental state. Like in the, the Vegas game, what was it? Was it five two or something or four two? I can't remember the score. But three or four of the goals is just guys just not picking up their man in front of the net, which is that that's a psychological thing. That's not a physical thing. It's just not yeah. being aware, not being willing to pay the price as much. Like to, you know, to win in the play, the, excuse me, to win in the National Hockey League, the margin is pretty slim between winning and losing. It really those little details in the game, especially in your defensive zone. But I, I'm really high on them. They've got, you know, Jonathan Quick there still as a backup goaltender. Well, supposed to be backup goaltender. And then know, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's played fantastic. Got and you know what? <laughs> yeah. You know, we had Luke on the show, and he said to me, and I hadn't heard this before, that uh, Jonathan Quick was the best leader he'd ever seen. And he's played with some good leaders, too. Uh, and I didn't realize that Quick was like that. I thought he was just a great athlete. You know, a lot of times goaltenders really aren't leaders. They're, you know, like the day of a game, they're kind of in a shell. But they're home. But I was surprised to hear Luke say that. So, but, so I like the Rangers. Um, Again, they just uh it just seems they just gotta get and maybe they get bored during the season or something because they are such a talented team. I don't know. That that's interesting. And here you are in, in, in LA, you got the two teams you play for. Kind of is there any kind of um, you know, what goes through your minds? Do you kind of fall back on some memories from playing oh. for both of the teams? Oh, like, totally. Like, yes. Watching them both play each other. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then seeing a guy like Luke, um, George McPhee, who's the president in Vegas, he actually came to our suite. I called, so seeing those guys. Yeah, you know, for me, New York and LA, both special places. Um, you know, starting my career in New York, uh, and playing with some great players like Phyllis Mazzito and Carol Badney and uh, Barry Beck and all those guys. Uh, just, we had some really good teams. Unfortunately, we had to play the Islanders when they're in the middle of winning all their cups. 
Like our, yeah, I that's when I got into hockey a lot. Oh, sorry. Right. Yeah. In the, uh, in we, I, I watched. Yeah, that I eighty-four. Because they had a parade down the street. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> that eighty-four team that we had, we lost to the Islanders in the first round. We, we it was a three to five series, and we had them uh, two games to one uh, in our building. And if we had won that game, yeah, we would have won the series, and we should have won that game, the game four. Uh, and then so the next game was back in uh, Long Island. That's where Kenny Morrow scored in overtime. Oh. Man, we had uh, we had uh, Clark Gillies was on. It's funny because Clark was this big savage, just scared to death of it. He's got the one eyebrow going across the top of his head. Um, <laughs> so we do a podcast, and he contacted me on Facebook, and I was like, "What does Clark Gillies want?" Like, I guess I was getting nervous already, thinking he's going to beat me up through Facebook. And uh, he says he's like a little kid. He goes, "Tommy, can I come on the show? Can I come on the show?" So we had him on, and we got to be pretty good friends. And unfortunately, we've lost him. But he even said uh, that he thought that. that uh, 84 team that we lost, they ultimately went to the uh, finals against Edmonton and lost. He thought that we had a good enough team that we could have won the cup that year. So it was kind of nice to hear that in one way. The other way, it's like, oh, God, thanks a lot. <laughs> you know, and look, and back then, too, they didn't have replays and stuff. And I've, I've watched a lot of specials yeah. where they show highlights of all these goals that shouldn't have been goals. Yeah. And yeah. stuff. And so do you, when you think back on that, um, do you recall like a lot, like, can you, do, does that kind of pop out in your mind? Like, oh, like that was a mistake. That was a mistake. That could have gone. Do you ever kind of think yeah. about that and where you know it would have gone if it yeah. had done this? Yeah. I more look at what we did wrong, like that, you know, how we could have played better. Uh, it's funny. I was talking to James Patrick, who I played with here in New York. And uh, we were saying that we get now, like on YouTube, those, like Liz, you mentioned watching those old games. Um, and if we make a mistake during the game, we immediately turn the game off. We get mad at ourselves, turn the game off. Because <laughs> you don't really recall, you recall all the nice plays you made, but you don't recall all the bad plays you made. So it's, it's funny. You know, one thing I'll just go back to, you talked about New York and how great it was in the memories. Uh, LA was, I, at first when I got to uh, LA, I, I wasn't that I didn't want to be in LA. I just missed New York so much. You know, I was, I was a captain, assistant captain, a player's player's award. You know, I felt like, you know, this is my team. So then to get traded, it's like, and when you're traded, the rest of the guys just move on. They've, they've got games to play and everything. So you're sitting there all by yourself. Uh, thinking, this is my team, and now I'm gone. Uh, but when I first got to L.A., it was funny. Uh, we had a really good team, a good bunch of guys, you know, like Dave Taylors and Phil Sykes and Jimmy Fox and on and on, Tim Waters. Um, I was sitting there. We had rented a home. I was married at the time. Um, first ex-wife. Uh, we'll do another show about ex-wives. Um, and... Uh, so uh, I was sitting in a hot tub. We rented a home with a hot tub and a pool in the backyard. It was Christmas Eve. And I was sitting there having a cocktail in the hot tub. I'm thinking, man, this isn't so bad. Like, what am I complaining about? So I really, I really got to like, enjoy living in uh, Southern California. And then when Wayne Gretzky got traded there, it became that was that was the place to be in the National Hockey League. So great memories from both places. A little bit different in the you know starting your career one place and ending another. But you know, in LA was great too. You know, playing I played with John Tonelli, who I played against a lot uh, with the Islanders. Got to play with Larry Robinson at the end of his career as well, and I've just always admired him as a person and as a player. Um, he was funny. Uh, you remember to babble on a little bit? Or you want me? I, I could babble on forever if you guys let me. Oh, no, this is great. We love we love hearing about it. This is right. this is amazing. So uh, I'll tell you my favorite Larry Robinson story. So I admired him. Like he was, uh, he could do everything: he hit, fight, score. Uh, you know, you know, beat up Dave Schultz and uh, do everything, and you know, won all the cups in Montreal. So when you first get to go play in Montreal. And you're on the ice with Larry Robinson, like it's a Montreal form. It's like unbelievable. Like you're just, you know, you're you just, I, I can't believe I'm doing this. And I was assistant captain, so it must have been like second or third year in the league. And Larry was assistant captain. Something happened on the ice 
where the two captain, any captains that are on the ice go have a conversation with the referee. So we're standing at center ice at Montreal Forum. And uh, now remember, I know Larry Roberts is standing to my left. And I'm just, I'm thinking to myself, this is unbelievable. And uh, all of a sudden I hear this chirping. Like he's saying something to me. And I'm thinking to myself, is Larry Robinson talking to me? And he's, I can see the referees dying laughing because he must have seen Larry do this before. And I turned and looked at Larry. I said, you talking to me? He says, what do you want, old man? Like this, Larry's probably like 10, 15 years older than me. I said, you're calling me old man? And he just turns and skates away. And I, I thought the referees looking at me because he knew the impact was having on me, right? This is Larry Robinson joking around with me at center ice at Montreal Forum. So then to get to play with him um, in L.A., was really something too, and I told him a story. He must have done it so many times. He didn't remember doing it to me, but uh, so that was yeah. Maybe it's, uh, again, I'm so fortunate. My career started with Phil Esposito in New York. Uh, again, all the old the great old players, the Steve Vickers and the Walter Chucks and those people. Dave, or excuse me, uh, uh, Carol Vadden, I've talked about too. He was just retiring when I was coming in, so he became a coach, uh, goalie, or excuse me, defenses coach. And uh, he must have saw something to me. He kind of took me under his wing and just treated me fantastic. And uh, I've always thanked him for that. Again, we've lost him as well, but he was you know, he was a huge part of my career, especially early. I want to go back to something that you said you said earlier, and you were talking about the sort of the emotional feeling of being traded. And obviously, you know, we're as the trade deadline approaches, we're looking yeah. at a lot of moves. I'm seeing rumors flying left and right. But as a player, I'm very curious. We don't really hear about like how that how that impacts you personally. So can you well, talk yeah. a little? right now like what's going to be what what's when we come back after today's all-star game and everyone's playing you know are we going to see are you know people nervous you know with all these trade rumors going out for the next couple weeks well it's a lot it's a great question there's a lot of different categories right there's a lot of guys that maybe are getting played a lot they want to get traded uh maybe a surprise to others um it's sometimes they're shocking again you've got families too kids in school uh, you know, right. most times the wife, you know, all her friends that she's made in that certain city. So there's a lot of things going to it. It is funny because, you know, I was traded in my seventh year uh, in league. So there's a lot of trades that happened prior to that where I was not a part of. So all I saw it from from a distance, I didn't really experience it at all. So it was always once the guy got traded, we'd go for a beer with him. And then next day we go to the rink and it's business as usual. You know, that guy's gone now and somebody takes his spot. So you don't think too much of it. But when you get traded, um, again, you go for the beer with the guys and then you wake up the next morning and then you're not going to the practice rink anymore with the same guys. You're not going to the game anymore. And again, for a player like me, um, my team was everything. I had to be like a team player. I was such a big, you know, guys get traded to the Rangers. They they, they tell me, uh, everybody tells me I'm supposed to go to beer with you. Uh, everybody tells me you're supposed to have lunch with you. I was that team guy, I was assistant captain and loved it. Um, so then when I get traded, <laughs> where, okay, where's everybody? All these guys I bonded with. Yeah. But it's not their fault either. You know, not like they're doing anything wrong. Yeah. Got work so and, then it is, what, and then what is it like to face your old team the first time you play? I mean, we saw quick we saw quick do that in yeah. in yeah. LA, which is very interesting. And you know, obviously he didn't win that game. He played well, but he didn't win that yeah. game. And I don't know if you saw his interview after the game, but he oh. was not he was not a happy camper. Oh. Um so in in his interview, and we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, um the the uh, the interviewers were asking him like trying to get him to say oh i was so emotional coming back it was so special um they kept asking him like was this an emotional night for you and he goes no oh. and then they go well what about the video that they played like that had to like elicit emotional reaction he goes no they just make the nhl makes a lot of videos i'm here to win games so you could tell he was not happy about how that had gone but that does have to have to have a, a weird psychological impact and the the other thing is that we've noticed that as as the Rangers play, all of their ex players are almost guaranteed to score 
yeah. against it's so it's so noticeable now i know i know well you know it, it's more it's more i don't know if emotional is really the right word when you go back to the old bit like for me going back to madison square garden that was the weirdest feeling uh, because you know, I played there so long, you're, you're going in a different like you're going in where the Zamboni goes. It's the, the, uh, you go down to the wrong locker room, the people you walk into the game, you know, all these people you've seen them so many times. So that was like coming to play it when the Rangers came to LA and played it. was by that time it was over, you know, I'd, I'd moved on. You know, it, it's funny because a lot of those guys are your friends. So when you play, I was supposed to be a physical player, so now you're hammering these guys that you're buddies with. Um, yeah, but that's you know, that's I. I yeah, it is a weird. So we had a playoff series with the Kings when Jimmy Carson had gotten traded the Wayne Gretzky trade. So now he's with Edmonton Oilers, and we had a playoff series where we were down three games to one against Edmonton, and ultimately came back to win the series seven one. And Jimmy Carson and I were good friends, but we're playing to win. I hit him and just knocked him out cold, hit him with a forearm shiver, and that sounds terrible, but I didn't think much of it because the desire to win was greater than I didn't want. Really, didn't really want to hurt him. No, I just yeah, so so it is going back to the old building for me. Going back to Madison Square Garden was the the weirdest feeling. Like the whole you're playing in the same building, it shouldn't be that big of a deal, but it's just the whole process of going to the rink. Uh, we had a we had a funny player, uh, Larry Robinson. There should be Larry Playfair. Uh, he's a big tough guy, and uh, he played for Buffalo for many years, and he was with the Kings when I was there. He's a great practical joker, so he knew I was all excited to come back to New York City. And uh, I would, you know, in New York City, you don't go on a bus back to the hotel. You can take a cab if you want to. So uh, he had taken my pocket, my suit pants, and put the, my money in the pocket and then sewed it. Uh, so you couldn't, I couldn't have access to the money. Now, I, oh I you know, he, yeah. So he, he knew I was so excited, you know, I'm running around meeting people and everything. So I get in the cab. And of course, the cab driver doesn't speak English. Um, so I go to pay and I can't, I, I can't give him the money. And the guy thinks that I'm trying to rip him off or something. Like that. So, so far, I had to rip my pocket. Your hands in your pants. This is all oh, good God. story. It was so you funny because him, you know, it was him. Like when you, when you reached in, did you know, like he had done yeah. it? Yeah. He was really good at that. Guy. He, he would spend a lot, like he'd get to the rink early just to get somebody with some practical joke. Like he'd do things. He'd put a water cup above your stall and then run a skate lace all the way around the locker room to where his was. It's a sweet little thing. It's a cup of water, but he'd spend hours setting it up and then he'd sit down and he'd pull the string and then the water'd land on your head. And so I, he took a real, like he really was good at sewing this up. Like I had no clue what was going on until I tried to put my hand in my pocket. So yeah. It was, I, I, think I, saw, I think I saw a YouTube video about you playing a practical yeah. joke. A couple of your teammates. Do you have a favorite practical joke that you played on? On yeah, team? well, the baby powder in the hair dryer is the best one. Um, so <laughs> Nikki, Nikki Fatio actually. Classics. Taught me. Oh, well, here's the thing though. So Nikki Fatio would do it after the game. That's how I learned to do this. So I thought, okay, I'm going to be smarter than that. I'm going to put the hair, baby powder in the hair dryer before the game, so it's all set up and ready to go. What I forgot was our, our assistant coach was the eye in the sky. So he had this whole routine where he would work out in the locker room. There's a gym next to it. And then he'd uh, put his suit on, put his contact lenses in, then dry his hair. He had this whole process uh, to be getting ready for the game. But I forgot that I, he does all this. But there's five hair dryers. I only put the baby powder in one hair dryer. So we've gone for warm-ups. We're just all standing up, getting ready to go for the game. And all of a sudden, I heard the hair dryer go on. I'm thinking, oh, my God. And he he happened to get the one with the baby powder. So he has contact, <laughs> yeah, he has contact lenses and everything. And he's screaming. He said, "Late like you're, I'm gonna get you." The guys are dying laughing. We're both. It was hilarious. I, and I said, "Listen, I wish I had set it up that, like I really did that to mean to do it, but it was total accident that I got him." But uh, that was that was probably one of the best. We ever had, yeah. The guy. So I was. We were room. Bob Bourne and I roomed together with the Kings too for a year. 
And uh, we were always doing practical jokes. And we were staying in a hotel out by uh, Edmonton Airport, leaving the next morning. It was one of those hotels, there's a big lobby, and all the rooms are right off the lobby. Uh, you know, they have flowers and branches and all this kind of stuff around. So the guys to get us back, we'd gone out and had a few adult beverages. So we come back to the room like two or three in the morning. And the guys had taken our everything in our room and set it up outside our room, the bed, the nightstand, the lamp, everything. And so we, we come home and we're pretty hammered. And uh, and, and we just said, uh, we were so we were tired and hammered. We said, just lay down and go to sleep. And security wouldn't let us do that. So they put all the stuff back in the room. But it was, that was classic. So that's the thing too. If you're, if you're going to be a practical joker, people are going to get you back. And uh, yeah, that's good. You have to be ready. Do you, do you think there's still, are they, you know, do you, are there players now that you're aware of that, that kind of keep that level? I know we see a couple of things like online, you yeah. know, that they, that they'll kind of think, but, but how do you think that is, um, you know, um, with people that, you know, that are active in the NHL, yeah. you still kind of like to do those things behind the scenes? I don't think they do as much. I think they, they have to be so careful, right? Like they're mm. their own little corporation, really, right? They make so much money. You know, there's no cell phone cameras around. There's no Twitter before. So we would do things like, you know, we, we didn't fly charter flights back then uh, until later on in L.A. Uh, so we got on a plane with everybody else. And they, they put us all in one section, but we're sitting on a commercial flight and guys would fall asleep and we'd cut their tie or we'd put shaving cream on their head or <laughs> we steal their shoes. Like I, I still can't sleep on a plane now because I think somebody's going to get me back after all the things you did. Um, so, That's funny. Yeah. So yeah, we wouldn't be able to, I don't think the guys would even, they wouldn't be able to get away with it. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah. We were, and this is again before nine 11 too. So, you know, we, uh, so, you know, the carousel uh, where the luggage comes out. So, you know, it goes back inside the building and then comes back out. So it's really like back those days it was set up different. So we would get on the carousel and ride it around and then come back out again uh, and like, be like a statue. Like we're standing there, like looking like this. <laughs> it's just, and the people that weren't on the team were looking like, who are these guys? A bunch of yeah. That was fun. Yeah, we, we had a blast traveling. Traveling on the road was uh, a blast. Uh, and, you know, and again, most, most, uh, almost everybody you, you play with is all the same kind of guys, you just different personalities. But yeah, we had a lot of fun. So you talk about you going back to Madison Square Garden when you were playing. Like, and this is why we go off script. I don't think any of these topics we've been talking about were things we planned on talking yeah, about, which is yeah, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> but when you're so traveling around and going back from team to team, tell me your favorite msg we know that's the answer your favorite arena versus like the worst arena oh, yeah absolutely so my rookie year in the nhl we had a good playoff run went to the semifinals and we played st louis and i was really playing well so i've always just had this feeling like i went back to st louis i was like i just felt good about my game you know it was really hard to you know people like they go to maple leaf gardens or something because i'm from the toronto area and and that was cool going there too but again the, the memories of playing in st louis uh were really good the old checker dome by far the worst uh was boston garden so I, my first year in training camp, I had a really good camp, so I'm obviously still with the team. And our first game, uh, so my first real regular season game in the NHL was in Boston. You know, this, you know, all these great players, tough players, Wayne Cashman, Stan Jonathan, all these guys. And John Davidson was our goaltender. And we're playing in the old Boston Garden. You know, there's rats running through the locker room and everything. It's just ah, totally, oh, yeah. It of course was they and, are. Oh, well, he was. <laughs> and, and again, to go off the on and off the ice, you have to go through the Boston bench. Uh, that's how, like, it was just set up to like, be totally intimidating. So John Davis is in that. I'm obviously on the ice and I've got the puck to his left and I'm trying to shoot the puck around the other side. There's pressure coming on. So I'm just play. I've made, you know, thousands of times. And, uh, so nervous. I shot it off JD's leg and into our own net, scored in our own net. 
This is my first oh. game, that first game, first period. So, so now I get, like JD was one of these guys too that he's larger than likes, you know, guy. He was star of the 79 when he went to the finals. So he wanted to really be approved by John Davidson. And the look he gave me through his mask was like, I, I just wanted to go home. I, I was just like, wow, this is awful. What have I done? You, yeah, know, you I had, remember I it, great, right? You'll never forget oh, it. Oh, oh, Burned it yeah. memory. Yeah, I go back to the bench. There's all these veteran players, Freddie Shiro's coaching and everything. There's nothing to get stadium. Like, it's not a coachable moment. They, they're going to say, well, don't shoot the puck in your own net. <laughs> so, uh, well, so that, you, well, you, weren't, you weren't the last one to do that. Yeah, just so you no. know. <laughs> but I'll tell you, it's an awful yeah. feel, especially when you're a rookie. Oh, my God. It's like, because you're thinking you've worked your whole life to get here. Well, how about when you're not a rookie doing it? Mm. Yeah. Well, I I I had a play like that at the Forum. We're playing Edmonton. It was like a hockey hall of fame. You know, Yuri Curry's there. Mark Messier's taking the face off. Wayne Gretzky's taking the face off for us. And I'm out in the ice, and you know, Gretz wins the uh, wins the face off. Comes back to me, and I've done this play tens of thousands of times. I either pass to the forward, pass to my partner, carry the puck, whatever. The puck just explodes like a grenade on my stick. I, I have no clue what happened, and I can't find it now. It's in my feet. And Yuri Curry comes flying in, takes the puck in, and score on a breakaway. And, you know, I'm supposed to be Mr. Steady Eddie, right? Like, always doing the right thing. And uh, Kerry Fraser was referee, and I'll never forget. And, uh, you know, when he played for a while, he established a relationship with referees, joking around. So he gets the puck at center ice, getting the face off at center ice. And he stands there. He won't drop the puck. He's trying. He's, he's laughing at me, and everybody's looking at me like, what are you doing? And uh, I, I started yelling. I said, "Drop the effing puck! Drop the puck!" And uh, he was pretty, he was pretty funny, but it was he was pretty good. Was good. Oh yeah, all the things that I'm sure you guys hear on the ice that no yeah. one else can hear because there's yeah. a glass going around. You can't hear yeah. anything. Oh, that's yeah. hilarious! They're they're not allowed to say some of the stuff that we said back then, which is probably pretty good. But th some of the guys were fa like just funny guys. Yeah, it was really there's good lines, good one liners out there. <laughs> if, Go ahead, Liz. You have a question. Oh, I was just gonna say, you know, it, it's so interesting to hear to to uh, hear all this, Tom. This is amazing. Um, we, we'd love to sort of get your thoughts on where, you know, where where do you think the Rangers are going forward this year? What what changes do you think they have to make in order to make this season, you know, one where there's a real contention for the Stanley Cup? Yeah. Well, they're in that stretch where you're saying they need to do something, right? Because they're not playing well. But if you'd had this conversation at the start of the year, like the first month, a month and a half, you'd say, don't change anything. These guys, this is a good hockey team. Uh, Chris Drury went out and got some older players on one year, uh, short term, short money contracts, thinking, okay, it, I'm going to not tying up a lot of cap space. These guys will be incentivized to play well because they want to continue to play. They're on one year deals. So I think he did a lot of good things. He uh, put a new coach in, Peter Lavalette, has won the Stanley Cup before, got two fantastic goaltenders uh, right now. So I've tried not to look and say, okay, how are they playing right now? How how good do you think the team is? Uh, losing Heedle for the year, that hurts. He was really playing well. Uh, Lafreniere and, and Capo Caco, the other two young players, probably the tough thing for them is they're playing against uh, the New Jersey Devils. With the, you know, they're all their young players that are playing so well, it kind of puts more pressure on, well, more pressure, but it's just more visible uh, that maybe those guys aren't doing as well as you thought they would. And that, if you went back three or four years, you'd think, okay, those good young players, Hedl, Caco, uh, Capo Caco, and uh, Lafreniere. You really thought, okay, not only will they be good now, but they're going to get better and better. So that's the future of the team. That doesn't, yeah, that doesn't yeah. look as good. Right now. That yeah. seems to be an expectation that hasn't lived up to people's, yeah. you know, like ideas. And so uh, we've talked about this a lot too before, because, you know, when the, when Vegas was formed, 
their team was young and they just, I think they just kind of were like, all right, you like, it's our first year, but then it took them all the way, you know, to the top. And then there was that trend that, um, and I was, I would actually grabbed Daryl Evans and talked to him about it with this trend of going younger. And so we kind of, Rangers were kind of the team that picked up on that and went really young. I think with that, you know, kind of what you were saying, it's like, you know, they would get better and they would form better and you build that more solid team. And now we're kind of looking at these teams saying, okay, well that, that might have, didn't really work. We're going to kind of start getting older. So now there's a shift in in kind of leveling out that age and kind of having them look because there's a little more experience gained in people that are a little older. So see, and I think that was a mistake by teams to looking at Vegas about the youth part of it because to me yeah. the biggest part, Gerard Gallant, I think, is a fantastic coach for that kind of a team because what he does is he says, listen, if you're working hard and make a mistake, don't worry, you're still going to go back on the ice. I want you to be free to be uh, making good plays. Don't be thinking about making a mistake, thinking, okay, now you're going to get benched. Uh, yeah, that's his big way of coaching. Sense. And that's the way he coached here in New York. Um, some people would criticize him because there's not enough of a system, but that's the way he coaches, and he had success coaching that way. Um, so I think when they looked at Vegas, it was I think we looked at Vegas. First of all, George McPhee, the GM, did a fantastic job of kind of fleecing some of the other teams, right, They're getting you know top players so that you don't right. take the guy you say you want to take on the, on the expansion draft. Um, so, again, I think the key was – and I mean, it's a compliment to George. I think they're so, I think he still thought, okay, we're really not going to be that good because um, who, who's it? Was it, uh, he got somebody that he knew he was going to, I can't, big left winger that he knew he would trade at the deadline. So you help him a little bit now, trade him at the deadline and get something for him. But they played, like you said, they played so well, they didn't have to make those trades. But again, I just think it was a bunch of guys that were on short term deals that, you know, hadn't really done really well or maybe weren't given much of a chance with their old team. And now they're saying, okay, now I've got a chance to be that NHL player. And they all were fired up for it. So, um, yeah. yeah, but that, you know, that happens in, with the NHL. Lots of copycat league in a lot of cases where they think, okay, you know, this is how this team did it. So, and it, to me, hockey's still hockey. It's like, you've got to have, you look at Vegas, you look at Tampa, big physical players that can skate, good goaltending. Um, and sometimes it's just a crapshoot too. Like you get, get guys like, um, you know, some players like John Drews with Washington Capitals many years ago. He was a pretty average uh, right winger, but all of a sudden the playoffs came around. Chris Conto was like that, too. Guys that maybe didn't have great careers, but all of a sudden the playoffs just lit fire, got a fire. And, you know, that happens. So, I, to me, sometimes the, you know, people try to strategize, okay, here's what this team did. Sometimes it's just the guys get on a roll, too. So, yeah. I, I, so, with the Rangers, I, to me, I wouldn't do anything. I just, I would, you know. I, yeah. I think, it's more it's more psychological with them, I think. It's just okay, we know we're good enough, but okay, we need to pay the price to win. Um, you have to play like you have to they have to play like they know that they're good enough. And it's almost like they yeah. sort of forgot about a month ago that they actually are an incredibly talented yeah, group of people. Totally. Um, yeah. and and something about it is just not is not clicking the way it was earlier in the season. Yeah. And they're like their power play, and that's such a big thing in playoffs too, because it really other teams are trying to be physical against you and your power play is going well and the other team's taking penalties, well, then they have to stop being so physical, right? So if power, is not, if power play is not that good, then now they can push you around a little bit more. And the Rangers, that's the one part they may not be – No, that whole toughness thing is kind of gone in the NHL. And so I, I was going to say the Rangers are, are as tough maybe as you'd like to see them, but again, who is? If the game's just changed so much. Uh, well, they're, they're tough. And, you know, it's funny you say that because, like, you know, I've always kind of said East Coast – plays more, you know, strategic and, uh, and more skill kind of, you know, and then you got the West coast with like the Kings so physical and such a different sense of play there. And so, and that's why I kind of love watching when the Rangers come into town because, you know, um, that's, I think that I want to say it's their biggest matchup is this, 
this this West Coast kind of road trip because everyone, well, most of the time the teams play really, really physical, and mm-hmm. um, and then it kind of pumps them up for you know uh, for yep. getting into into the playoffs. So, um, and I've never really seen you know the the and, and yet the the East Coast has the you know I think we have the hardest division you know and yeah. you know, I always. When it gets time closer to playoffs, I always hate our division. I'm like, why do we have to have the best teams oh, and, yeah. and fight so hard? Because it makes us look worse. But we're not, you know, right now we're not bad. You know, we're still no. in first place and we're still, you know, doing well. Um, and everyone kind of has their moments. I, I kind of was telling Liz, it's more like I look at it, the stock market. I look at the long term and see. So what the other thing is when you hit the playoffs, how does your mentality change from like, you know, a regular game to like that first game in a playoff. I mean, does it change for you? Like, do you think like or different yeah. players? See, I, I think for a guy like me, I, I had a, I, yeah, I had a job to do, right? It was to show up every game, make the outlet pass. So yeah. I didn't want things to change. And people say, well, geez, you get to a game seven, do you have to change your preparation? The answer is no. In fact, stick to your preparation, stick to your process. So for me, now, now maybe goal scorers, uh, goalies, maybe they, there's more pressure on them to get things done. Mine is to stop things from happening. As a player, so I, again, if you're a rookie player, I think the playoffs do it can really affect you a little bit. Uh, veterans players have done it before, just realize, okay, I just need to be hard, do it harder. I need to hit harder, skate harder. I mean, because it's an 82 game season, you'd like to say you're playing as hard as you can every game, but you, you can't. It's just it, traveling and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's more of that. Um, I just, you know, the one thing too is, is really important. Uh, you look at the teams that win; they usually don't play all seven game series. Like they'll get shorter series, like maybe a. A four game series or a five game series. That's a big thing. The Rangers, two years ago, when they did so well, I think they ran at gas a little bit too. I think they went to seven games with Pittsburgh. Was it seven yeah. games with Raleigh? Yeah. So by the time they get, you know, they're tired. Not only that, but it was like three overtimes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you think, well, you think remember that one? Yeah. And those games are, they are intense. I mean, again, you got to play yeah. the same way, but the intensity level is just ratcheted up a little bit, you know, and they, you know, more yeah. pressure. So it's, it's fun. I'll tell you, playoffs are great, especially if you get on a roll and you're doing well. Now the weather gets nicer. You're, you're not practicing as much. Uh, it's just that whole feeling about, yeah, like now you get down to the point where there's only four teams left and you're one of the four teams. And I was I was unfortunate. I only got – I got the semifinals twice, never got to the finals. But just even to get to the you know the semifinals was it's just a special feeling. Like it's just – you know, you, you've dreamed your whole life of getting to this point. Like everybody wants to play in the National Hockey League, but you really want to be playing for the Stanley Cup. So, um, and it's funny, you can't, you don't, you don't touch the trophy if you're a player until you've actually won it. Um, I was lucky when I was in the agent business, uh, Warren Reichel, one of my clients, played for Colorado when they won in uh, Florida in overtime. Yuri Coop scored the winning goal. So uh, it was a late game that went into overtime. So I couldn't get into the locker room until like three or four in the morning. Everybody's hammering. I wanted to get in and get my picture taken. In fact, I've got the picture on here someplace where Warren and I were, and that's the first time I ever touched, touched the trophy. So it was pretty cool. Ah, so you did touch it. Huh. Yeah. Well, I figured my client I liked it, it actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> when I was up in Toronto and I had the opportunity, yeah, I liked it. Yeah. And I, it was the Rangers, so it's fine. Yeah. So <laughs> thanks for the curse. Appreciate that, Christine. Yeah, it is a curse. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's funny. Yeah, you, you talk about big moments. So when Wayne Gretzky got traded to L.A., um, he was trying to not trying to. He was about to break Gordy Howe's all time points record. And it happened to be we're traveling around. So Gordy Howe is traveling around with us, which is like and Wayne had a couple of games where he didn't score. So we say, don't score. Wayne, we want to hang out with Gordy Howe. Right? This, Gordy's telling us old stories. Great guy. And so we get to happen to get to Edmonton and he's uh, one point behind Gordy Howe. 
and uh, it, it's in Edmonton, you know, so it's a drama. And you just feel it in the building. And uh, we had a four and four. And uh, so it was Bernie Nichols, Wayne Gretzky, myself, and Steve Deshane on the ice. So I'm the defensive player. Those guys are the player. So we've got uh, Edmonton hemmed in their zone. It's Mark Messier, Gary Curry, Paul Coffey, you know, uh, Charlie Huddy, I think. So it's like a hall. I went there with the Hall of Fame guys. Nice. And uh, so we're, we've hemmed Edmonton in. They're running around. And, of course, they're not paying attention to me at all. Edmonton or others. So they've got two guys on Wayne. I happen to be standing in the slot all by myself. And I'm pretty sure, I don't think it was Grant Fear. I can't remember who was in that. Um, and so, Wayne, of course, Wayne gets me the puck. Now, I'm realizing here, if I score here, this is going to be the point that ties Gordy Howe's record. It's going to go down to history, and I'll be the one that scored the goal. So I go into panic mode. <laughs> I didn't I didn't want to shoot the puck because I thought I'd miss, or I thought I'd shoot it right into his chest or something. So Bernie Nichols was covered by Charlie Huddy on the side of the net. And I said, I'm sure I'm passing to Bernie no matter what. And he was an incredible athlete. So he happens to get it and tips it in and scores. So that's that's the point that Wayne gets an assist. So that's the point that ties it. So the crowd's going crazy. They're cheering and everything. And everybody's jumping on the ice. And uh, I go over to uh, Bernie. And he's looking at me, he says, what were you doing passing me? I'm covered. So him and I are, you can't see it in the video, but him and I are dying. Laughing. Look, actually looks like this fantastic play I made, but it really wasn't. It was just me panicking. <laughs> and uh, so when I see the video now, it's hilarious because nobody knows, notices that that's really what went on, uh, except for Bernie and I, really. So it was cool. That's great. So, I was, you know, one of the questions I've kind of been thinking of just to ask anybody, but it sounds like, you know, with all that you, you've kind of played with so many people, is there anybody that you would have wanted to, that you didn't get a chance to like play with, like on the same line or the same team or, or against, you know, so that you can, you know. Well, I, you know, Bobby Orr was a, such an influential uh, player, changing change the game, the way the uh, defenseman played particularly. And, and such a great guy too, such an ambassador for the game. Would have been pretty cool to play with him. Again, you know, being around Gordie Howe, uh, Bobby Hall came and tried out with us uh, my second year in the league. Uh, he had retired. Anderson Olf, who we played with in Winnipeg in the WHA, uh, were on the team. So he came for trial. So he was in training camp with us. And that was a cool experience. So my dad, we lived on the farm in Canada, outside of Toronto. And somehow he got us into Maple Leaf Gardens the day of the game for the morning skate. And the Chicago Blackhawks were there. And I don't know how it all happened, but I had the little mini hockey stick and everything. And Bobby Holt came out of the locker room and stood and talked to me for like 10 minutes and uh, signed a little stick for me and everything. And I always remember that. I think that was so cool that this guy would take, David Game would take his time. He's Bobby Hall. It's not just some average player. So I always remember that. And it really influenced me. So when I around kids, I, I remembered how I felt when an NHL player took that time. So when he came over to training camp, uh, well, we first had uh, practices and Ryan New York where our practice facility was. And then we were flying over to Finland. And so first day he was there, uh, must have been about a dozen of us. I went to lunch with him and we sat there for like three hours after having beers, listening to him tell stories, just Bobby Holt telling stories. And I, I, that was the coolest thing, you know, partly because I remember back when I was a kid and now I hear I am playing with Bobby Hall, about to play with Bobby Hall and him telling all these stories. So yeah, those guys, Bobby Hall, uh, Bobby Orr, those guys from the past, again, because they're, you think back to those six teams and they, they were just iconic, you know, that Saturday night watching hockey night in Canada. And to be able to, you know, Bobby Orr would have been pretty cool, but, you know, spend time with Gordy Howe and, and Bobby Hall was cool too. But they, yeah, they, you're right. I was so lucky, like the Larry Robinsons. Wayne Gretzky was, you can't say enough good stuff about him. It's it's like he knew how, how my, I mean, when he was a kid, he knew how much of an influence he was going to have on the game, other people. When he first got to LA, 
we had training camp and I, the old guy sitting in the back of the bus and we had the beer cooler front and, you know, things have changed a lot. So Wayne gets on the bus and I'm sitting back there and, and we know each other. We've spoken, uh, but he grabs a six pack and comes and he's heading back to the bus. And I'm thinking, Oh God, I'm getting traded. You know, Wayne's got, you know, Wayne doesn't want me on the team, <laughs> but it was anything but the truth. He sat down and started telling old stories about, uh, so when I played junior hockey, uh, I grew up in Brampton. He was at Brantford. And he was this good young player. It's like, I think he's two or three years younger than me. So because he was so good, he would come up and play at this higher level. And we tried to kill him all the time. <laughs> we couldn't. And uh, so he, he comes to the back of the bus uh, as we first got to training camp. He starts asking, he says, who's that guy, Bill, Bill Brown, or whatever the guy's name was you played with in junior? And I'm going, how can you remember this guy? I, I don't, like, he was really a student of the game. Um, and the people that played it. And he's fantastic. That's the first time I'd really talked to him for that kind of stuff. And I just walked away thinking, wow, this guy's just like, he, he tell he, his whole life, he knew he was going to be Wayne Gretzky, not just some average NHL player, uh, but Wayne Gretzky had really, and I think his father played a huge role in that too. I heard him tell a story recently where uh, they played a game at the end of the year, which was really a nothing game. And they ended up losing eight to one. Wayne didn't get any points or whatever. And the dad got in the car. He wasn't mad at him. He says, Wayne, you're Wayne Gretzky. You can't be just like everybody else. People come from all over to watch you play, no matter when it is. And I think he really lived by that. So he was cool. Yeah. Back in when I met you actually in person, it was two years ago at the alumni game, you know, Rangers yes. and Islanders, which just occurred this last weekend as well. Um, so, and it was right after Mike Bossy had just passed too, mm -hmm. as I recall. That's so, right. and, and when I started getting into hockey, being on Long Island and, you know, being, 10 minutes from Nassau Coliseum. Um, uh, it's funny because I was always a Rangers fan, uh, but I wasn't allowed to go to the games. So it's <laughs> for the Islanders, next best oh, thing. But oh. Mike Bossy was amazing. And yeah. and I want to say, and correct me if I'm wrong on the other side, but I mean, I always felt that he was very well respected, you know, yeah. too. So, you know, with these top players and, and people that you've gone through, you know, like, and through, and Mike Bossy was, you know, the kind of, I'm going to say the Gretzky of that day. And then, you yeah. know, and then, and then Gretzky surpassed him and, and became the great one that he is. So, um, you know, did, were there like other things that you kind of learned from some of these other players and, you know, and the respect, you know, and how it was earned, you know, through yeah. your playing with these guys? Well, yeah, he's a great example. Rick Middleton was like this. Joey Mullen was like this, where they would make these plays. Like if you watch him play, he really wasn't that smooth skater. You know, he wasn't like a smooth stick handler. In fact, he looked kind of choppy. Like Rick Middleton, he, like he was a beer league player, looked like sometimes. And that's the thought that he would have. But then they'd make a play and score a goal. And you think, well, that's just lucky. But then you watch him over and over. And they do it over and over and over. So it's not luck. It's, it's stick work. Uh, and, and they're smart, too. Uh, so Jordan Mullen, I'll never forget one time. Uh, it was early in my career. I think he was playing. I can't remember. I think he was in Calgary, I believe. And so I'm this big, tough defenseman. And little Joey Mullen comes to the front of the net. So I'm cross-checking the cross-check. I'm trying to get him going. So he skates away. And I'm thinking, I think, yeah, I'm the tough guy. I showed him who's boss, right? And as soon as he skated away, you could tell they practiced this play. Whoever had the puck in the corner, it was all time. So he would back away in this high slot. Where, and I'm standing in front of the net still. He'd get the one-timer and score. And I'm thinking, oh, God, he played me. Like, he just he just used me because, I, you know, he'd done it. So those kinds of things from those, those star players, like, it wasn't just – Yes, they worked hard. Yes, they were skilled, but they just they competed, man. It's and I would say that about every skill player that I, every star player that I played against or played with, that competition level was by far the best thing they had. Wayne Gretzky, Larry Robinson, they loved the game. Larry Robinson, when he came, he played like twenty years when he came to LA, and he was like a little kid. I, I was amazed. He just loved it. You know, he loved going out with the boys for beers. Like at practice, he's working hard. He's laughing. He's joking around, and. Uh, 
I think that's all, you know, Phil Spazio was the same way. He had a sense of passion for the game. Uh, you know, there's, there's other players who were good players, but they could have been better players, but just didn't have that passion for whatever. And then they, they worked hard and they were glad they played in the NHL. But like those, and I, I say this now when I, I, I don't have regrets in my life, but I say to people, listen, the thing I have in common with Wayne Gretzky is we both accomplished our goals. My goal was to play in the National Hockey League. His goal was to be the best player that ever played in the National Hockey League. So, you know, not so I said to people, don't like, especially kids, don't just dream to be doing something. Dream to be the best at it, knowing full well that you may not, the chances of ever getting that are slim, but shoot to be the best. And then if it doesn't happen, you've now taught yourself in other walks of life, your, your career, your relationships, whatever it is, be the best at it. Don't just try to get it done. So. I love that. Well, on that note, uh, Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, this was absolute, absolute. We're done. I thought we were going for three hours. What's wrong with you? I, <laughs> yeah, I can talk. We are I definitely going to have you back on because there we yeah. now that we have so many more questions. We, yeah. You obviously you know have so many good stories. And everything you know, uh, and we can we can. Yeah, we, we, we truly could be talking all day long. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't want yes. to take up the rest of your day. And and also, we know we have, uh, we have the All-Star game coming up, so we want to make sure people have the chance to to watch that. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Tom. We really, again, so grateful my, to have you. My pleasure. A lot of fun. We'll have it out again. We'll do it again. Looking